Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles. And today we have leaked cases from the iPhone 15 showing us some design changes of the phone, what iOS 17 features will not come at launch, some updates to Vision Pro and Vision OS, and a possible product roadmap for the next year. This episode is sponsored by our friends at Collide. And joining me this week, my friend Wes Hilliard. How's it going, Wes? Okay, Stephen. I'm just uh, patiently waiting for Stardew Valley to appear on Apple Arcade. Stardew Valley? Wait, is there a release date for that? Yeah, uh, July 20th. 21st there's a few oh. games coming out in july that are all uh big deals i think ridiculous fishing is is returning Ridic- july 14th hey have you ever heard of ridiculous fishing that's a, it was a big game back yes. in the day it's been remastered the developer is defunct oh. but the uh, game was taken over by some good people i believe zach gage that guy yeah oh, okay. he he helped yeah he helped make this so if you if you know who zach gage is he's, okay. he's b- pretty pretty awesome pretty cool the people who made threes helped to make this this remaster nice so okay very yeah. cool yeah stardew valley plus coming july 21st and oh. if you're a fan of Han- animal crossing and sanrio hello kitty island adventure oh wow okay <laughs> coming at the end of july very good well i've seen more apple arcade games i know as my kids download games on their various devices whenever they're not arcade games it's just non-stop ads and i see them constantly having to wait for the little tiny x that's impossible to tap and i'm just like oh all Apple Arcade all the time. Anytime I see any of my relatives playing a game with an ad in it, I just take their phone and find just throw it in the lake. A different version. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, just like this is <laughs> it just this is awful. Crush it. Get this out of your life. Oh, it's it's terrible. Anyway, uh, what's great is you, the other podcast on the Apple Insider Network, which you should check out. The Apple Insider Daily Show has been being hosted by our friend Charles. He's gone past his hundredth episode for Apple Insider Daily. You can take a listen to that. Link is in the podcast show notes, and of course, HomeKit Insider with Andrew O'Hara and myself. Check those out. Links are in the show notes. And two five-star reviews from wonderful listeners, Boilerine from the USA. We're one of their favorite podcasts, so thank you for that. And Gabriel Carroll, 88, from Great Britain, saying specifically to Hello, uh, William. So, you know, yes, we know. Everybody loves William. We get it. That's that's why people come, but, but that's fine. Um, also, I got an update. You know, I, this was something I talked about months ago. I, I've always wanted a Wikipedia page. I know it's a selfish thing, but apparently... Someone submitted one for me back in March of this year, and I I was not aware, and it's not publicly available just yet, but I actually got an email from Wikipedia, like, submissions alert. I did not know this was even a thing. And they were like, we can help you change some things about this page to make it compliant, and then it can go public, or you can pay us to do it for you, and it was pretty expensive to pay them to do it, so I'm not going to do that. But uh, I might I might make some changes, and whoever did it uh, was pretty thorough. They included a lot of different things and links, so I, it doesn't say who did it. I mean, there's like a username, but it's random. So whoever submitted that Wikipedia page for me, thank you. I will uh, do my best to try and get it the rest of the way with the uh, Wikipedia team. So there you go. So I'm gonna do it for Wes too, because Williams already got his. Williams got an amazing Wikipedia page. So somebody help Wes out too. Yeah, I, I don't I don't need a Wikipedia okay, page. Don't do it. it would be oh. a paragraph long. Um, <laughs> no. Yeah, it's fine. No, you have interesting life. You have your, your military history, then you got Apple Insider, uh, you have cats, you know, all of that. And then that's the end of the Wikipedia page. Yeah, <laughs> no. it's a paragraph. No, yeah. no, no. Uh, they could talk all about your your thoughts about music and and Apple Music playlist play histories and all all of oh, that. Oh Lord, you know yeah. so that's uh, yell yell about the contacts app. Yeah, yeah, there you go. All of that. So all right, let's talk about some Apple Vision Pro stuff. I want to encourage people. You know, I have not dived dove. I've not dove in to the whole like Xcode Vision OS simulator. I know there's lots of sc- yeah. I'm not gonna. Do yeah, that. I just. <laughs> I just can't. I can't bring myself to do it. I know I'll fall down a rabbit hole. Plus, there's kind of a learning curve to figuring all that out. So I will leave it to the professionals, actual developers and people who are familiar with Xcode. But I did listen to the Accidental Tech Podcast. I believe it was last week's episode, as you listen to this episode. And they really dove into some of the documentation where it talks about how Vision OS is going to handle app rendering in the OS. And one of the things that they talked about in the keynote, of course, was privacy. Namely, because Apple Vision Pro tracks your eyeballs and where you're looking and uses that for selection, where you just look at a thing, tap your pointer and thumb together, and then that's how you select it. Knowing where you're looking is very sensitive information, and Apple said that that information will be private. Well, even more so, one of the things that Vision OS is going to have to do to keep that private is apps don't get to render their own windows that is going to be left up to Vision OS. The reason being is, depending on where you're looking in a window and your environment, 
Because if you are in a, a blue room, let's say all your walls are the color blue or whatever, Vision OS and the Apple Vision Pro is going to use the color of your room if you're in AR mode to actually tint the windows in your field of view. So you'll actually have some blue lighting on the windows. Well, if an app was rendering its own windows, it would need access to that surrounding environment to know how to render it. And that immediately becomes a privacy issue because Apple doesn't want apps to be able to see your surroundings, see what's in your room and all of that. And so apps don't even get to render their own windows. They basically have to tell Vision OS that how they want to be rendered. And then Apple Vision OS handles all of that. Just again, showing how deeply Apple is thinking about this privacy and security, especially when it comes to eye tracking, what's in your environment. You know, because if you use this in your home, there's lots of cameras looking at the room around you to render it in your field of view in the in the headset. And so again, privacy is, is really important. So I was just nice to hear that discussion. Obviously, they dive way into the details explaining it if you want to check that out. But just nice to know Apple has privacy just kind of on first of mind. I believe uh, we discussed a little bit of that with Jason Aiton. What oh, right. was that? Six months ago that we did that episode? Um, <laughs> Three weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we talked a little bit about it. It was uh, It's definitely interesting what they're doing here because like the developer doesn't have access to all this data. So what is it actually doing? They're passing basically UI Chrome and what the app is and does to Vision OS and then Vision OS is rendering it separately. So the developer actually doesn't have access to like uh, hover states and click actions and stuff like that. That's all controlled on the other side that's completely inaccessible to developers. So I think that's really smart. It, it just kind of goes to show it's a culmination of everything Apple has been building on a privacy side of things for years. So that's interesting. A couple other things about the uh, Apple Vision Pro specifically. The top strap, which was kind of around the keynote time, it was in discussion because Apple didn't really show the headset with a top strap to secure it to your head very much. There was one scene when the dad was like kneeling to take pictures of the kids. I guess not sure if it was a dad or not, but <laughs> the adult guy was kneeling down to take pictures and it showed a top strap in the keynote video for just a moment. Well, there's been some renderings on how it might be working, but there definitely is a top strap. And again, for long sessions, most likely will be needed. I know many of the early reviews or at least the early impressions of people who actually tried it out at Apple Park. So, you know, it gets heavy. Even after, you know, 30 minutes, it's a, it's a big headset. So that top strap. It's a big hunk of aluminum and glass on your right, face. Right, exactly. Like the only thing balancing it is what, your nose, maybe a little bit of your forehead. Right. If you've ever used a VR headset before, generally these things have forehead pads or something like that that are these giant wide triangle shaped things that kind of cling to your face with a grip. Vision Pro doesn't really have that and i remember when the first renders uh the of the headset were coming out um that thing based on the uh, information drawing uh people are like oh yeah this is great whatever ski goggles what what have you but we went in to make our own and i was like there's no way this does not have a top head like a headband support because yeah. you can't put all of the weight of the thing on your nose and people were saying like we were crazy like why are you putting a headband on here apple would never stuff like that and it's just like yeah but now here we are. Apple says that accessory situation, the headband situation is not finalized. That's still being, in, you know, that's still being kind of figured out as they get closer to release. Uh, we know that everyone who did the demo had a top head strap uh, for keeping the weight off of their face during the demo. They didn't want people to be thinking about the weight. Right. So I'm, I'm assuming that they're going to try to get away without having that top strap, but I don't think it's, no, I don't think that's you're going to want to wear it. Then the last interesting thing was part of developing apps for Apple Vision Pro, if apps are putting you in a fully immersive experience, meaning full VR, Apple's not really using the AR and VR vernacular, but that's what it is. You're completely immersed in an app. What is the uh, vernacular? It's um, windows, volumes, and spaces, right? So that's that's the three things that we're talking about here. When Apple, when Apple calls it that. Apple avoided using any industry terms during its keynote, which is very Apple. So a window is basically an unadorned app. Basically, if you if you run an iPad app in Vision OS, it's a window. And apps can, uh, developers can update those apps to have a little bit of transparency and take advantage of the room lighting and such. But it is a 2D space. Volumes are interactive objects that can't change size. So you can resize a window uh, to fit whatever your needs to have the content fill out the space, kind of like a web browser, yeah. right? Like a window on on, uh, on a Mac. A volume 
is a physical object that has dimensions that you interact with. So people have been talking about this. If you're listening to James Thompson on Connected this week, he actually describes making dice by Peacock, a little tray with <laughs> dice in it that you can place on your table. That is a volume and you can't change its size. Uh, some people are talking about Steve Stratton Smith making like a radio that would play broadcasts, right? So like right, right, right. physical objects you can place in your space. So a volume is what you'd call AR, but Apple doesn't call it that. And then space is, is what you call VR, what we, right. you know, the nomenclature there. And that is an enveloping 3D space around you when you have the headset on. And I think for the purposes of us on this podcast, at least for me, I'm probably going to use the terms AR and VR because I think that is what immediately evokes what we're talking about. I mean, I will try to adopt Apple's language, but but I do think, you know, like a fully immersive experience, I think it's just quicker to say VR. But when 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 I say VR, I mean, when you have the Apple Vision Pro on your head, you're going to be completely enveloped in a virtual environment, fully immersive experience, mm. not seeing any of the room around you. Whereas an AR mode, uh, you would actually see the room around you digitally. Remember, it's a digital representation of the room. You're not actually looking through lenses. You're looking at screens that the cameras are then projecting your room towards you. So anyway, all that to say, when you're in a fully immersive experience or VR experience in the Apple Vision Pro, let's say you're playing a game or you turn the digital crown because you're watching a movie and you want it to feel like you're watching this huge movie screen over the lake, like you saw in the keynote, that when you're in that fully immersive experience, that the headset is going to draw a 1.5 meter or about five foot radius from you outwards. And then that circle with a five foot radius around you from that initial position, if you cross outside of that circle, it will switch off the VR or the immersive experience and actually show you the room around you with no you know, action on your part. It's just going to do that automatically to help prevent you from hitting things. All right, that's a lot of space. I was going to say, yeah, five foot radius is basically, you know, a 10 foot diameter circle, which is, like you just said, a large amount of space. You know, most living rooms, that might be the amount of space between like the couch and the TV. You know, some larger living rooms, of course, you'll have more space, but, you know, 10 foot diameter circle is pretty big. But I am just reminded of all the many, many fail videos that I have seen of people wearing like a Quest or whatever headset and they're playing a game and they go to like punch because it's a boxing game or they go to run away because a zombie's chasing them and they just straight up run into a wall. I'm not sure the VR experience turning off will happen fast enough to prevent someone from running into a wall. But I do see like if someone is creeping outside of that circle, approaching either furniture or the walls of the room. It does. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense for it to start phasing out that VR experience to let the user know you're about to hit something and you might want to move back towards the middle. Yeah, this isn't room replacement VR. You're not going to be on a treadmill uh, fighting zombies or something like this isn't some future tech nonsense. Uh, this is a very simple concept of VR. This isn't meant to be, you know, you put it on and the entire room becomes this experience that you can move around and interact with objects. We're not there yet. And I mean, maybe eventually we will be and the technology will be fast enough and smart enough to keep you from running into walls um, or, or bring them into visibility as objects um, right. move into view. That technology might already be there because of the the cameras and LiDAR in use. So uh, we'll see what that looks like when we're actually using it. I don't think it's necessary. I, I've seen some people saying, oh, well, this, this is terrible. We're not actually going to be able to enjoy VR experiences, but I've never tried the full room ones and I'm sure they're fun, you know, where you have like a, what, what's the system is HTC where you can have motion sensors and cameras around the room, right? point all of them at you. And then you, it's able to basically map out the space yes. perfectly for the experience. That sounds great, but also sounds like a lot of setup a lot of work to get yeah, right yeah. and most people are not very few it. experiences would actually take advantage of yeah, it yeah 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 the the vr that i've actually used uh with playstation vr 2 i know that's limited compared to maybe an oculus quest that isn't tethered to a console the vr that i've used generally seated so playing a game like resident evil or gran turismo or beat saber standing in one place right um there is a version of beat saber i believe on oculus that is 360 degrees where notes can come at any direction which is really interesting mm -hmm. in concept but again you're still standing centered in the room right. when i'm playing beat saber the couch is right behind me the tv's right in front of me 
I do not have five feet around me. <laughs> right, right. So, so again, this this sounds like like this is more space than PSVR two offers right. with that tethered cable. So, I'm not too worried about it myself. So that's Apple Vision Pro. We'll keep posting updates as developers play around with that simulator and documentation and all of that. Links in the show notes to what we talked about today. Before before we move on from Vision Pro, yeah. I wanted to ask you because I haven't I haven't talked to you in a little. Yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. We haven't talked since the keynote, honestly. Right. Yeah. So that's that was my question. So since the keynote, have you gotten more excited or less excited about Apple Vision Pro? I'm withholding judgment because to just look at what Apple showed in the keynote, showing spreadsheets and documents and like the photo app and watching movies, not much of those use cases feel super exciting to me. I definitely would want to experience watching a movie on Apple Vision Pro, possibly a 3D movie, which I typically don't enjoy in theaters. I don't like wearing the glasses. I feel like the 3D effect is not great. I feel like watching it in the Apple Vision Pro might offer a very different experience. So I'm very keen to try that. The entertainment side, I think there's value there, but uh, you know, I don't know what that trade-off is going to be. I am waiting and hoping, and I believe that there will be developers out there that make truly unique experiences that kind of like the Apple Watch and even the iPhone and iPad I don't know how many times I've said the app's name on this podcast, but Ferrite, the app that I use to edit all the podcasts, that one app makes the iPad a key device for my workflow and productivity. And that is not an Apple app. That is a third-party application by a one-person team. Canis, thank you again for making that application. And so it really only takes one amazing app to change how a device works in your uh, workflow and productivity. And so I am looking and waiting for a developer. And it might take a year, it might take several years for a use case to really stand out and make the Apple Vision Pro seem really appealing and, you know, encourage me to use it more than just for watching a movie. So I'm I'm waiting for that. I'm tempering my excitement. I have two more quick questions very fast. Yeah. If Apple Vision Pro is coming out tomorrow and you had the money and your wife wasn't going to kill you, would you buy it? Just... I mean, listen, <laughs> for, well, first of all, Apple's return policy is excellent. And I've, I've, sure, I've bought many sure. things <laughs> and returned them. Like, I think when, uh, I, you know, the 15-inch MacBook Pro came out, I forgot what it was. Like, I bought it. I realized I don't like the larger size laptops. I returned it. There's no restocking fee. There's no really penalty. Apple's very good at, like, not interrogating you when you return something. And I've bought so much from Apple over the years. I don't feel any guilt returning something at all. So I think that would even apply to a $3,500 headset. You know, I've, I would be curious yeah. the return policy on that, but I'm sure you could return a Mac Pro and it would be fine. So yes, I would do it, True. but I would also like be watching my return window to see, <laughs> uh, you know, when is my last day to use this thing? Yeah, I, I would definitely like it. The moment it's available and I have the money in my pocket, I'm I'm going to check it out. Now, sure. I'm with you. Like if I get it and I'm like, you know, this is great, but I can't really use this. Like why? why like I, it would just sit there on my desk and I would put it on and be like, oh, this is cool and take it back off and then put it back on my desk. Right. right. So that, that brings me to my third question. Can you see a future? Not Let's not talk about, you know, future headsets that are lighter, thinner, better, whatever. This headset, uh, can you see yourself using it to work for few hours at a time, you know, sure, take breaks, whatever. Those logistics aside, could you work inside of this thing for multiple hours? You know, I, I have used a Quest 2 and I played Beat Saber. I played a Star Wars game and I used it for maybe an hour or so. And just in that hour, it was very clear to me that I would not want to spend eight hours in it, in that headset. Visual fidelity, I think, has a lot to do with it, though. Visual fidelity also the strain of just wearing a headset again uh, the top strap and how comfortable apple vision pro is the resolution of the screens for each eye having your like glasses prescription as part of the lenses like all of that may make for a much smoother experience using it if it can be like airpods max and just kind of disappear after a little bit i think it'll it'll be a different thing like sure i could see myself sitting at my desk and people were making fun of like what does the desk setup of vision pro look like in the future and it's just an empty desk yeah with, with yeah. nothing on yeah it. i'm intrigued by that concept if only because like you know people will still balk and i and, and i'll hush about vision pro we can move no, on but good. people still people still balk at the price of thirty five hundred dollars and i'm looking here at my desk and I see a studio display, what, $1,500, $1,600, yep. a MacBook Pro with M, M1 Pro, 
in it so 2000 plus so that there alone you're there you're there already yeah i'm already there plus an ipad pro ungodly priced because i got one terabyte of storage um an ipad mini right like and it just you you know you can just see those dollar signs racking up now in a world where vision pro exists will i not buy any of these things anymore maybe not i mean i would absolutely still buy ipads because i love them and they're they're a separate device they would be my computer outside of the vision pro but would i need a mac and a studio display if i had vision pro maybe not so it's something to consider it's really the cost cost benefit analysis but more like cost comfort and also how you work i am a single monitor person with lots of windows that i am going back and forth with a lot of command tabs command space for a spotlight and i work very quickly that way i think people who might like are just monitor people who just want like three to four monitors where they can just have stuff constantly visible. Maybe the Apple Vision Pro would be more conducive to that workflow because you don't need that many physical monitors. You can have as many windows as you want. You can change the depth and size of those windows and they would all be like clear because of the retina resolution or whatever. Maybe that kind of workflow is more conducive to that. Whereas like I actually just prefer my studio display right in front of me I use spaces, you know, so I'll have multiple spaces with windows arranged differently. I actually use full screen apps. Like I put Final Cut in full screen view. Sometimes I'll put uh, Brave in full screen view if we're doing like a recording. And so, you know, those are the kind of things like I'm not sure what, uh, and especially the podcast workflows that I do so often, don't know how that's going to translate to a headset but I try it. It's definitely going to be interesting. Like this time, maybe not this time next year, but like by the end of next year, I wonder, you know, if we're going to have completely different experiences. And I guess that does bring up the question of, can we podcast from vision pro? Yeah, that'd be interesting. (laughs) That'd be interesting. So we'll see where we are. I'm, I'm excited. I mean, I'm overall excited for a new era of computing and technology and to see where it goes. I'm still leaning on like the developer story for the headset and what that's going to look like in the next few years. Gen Gen 2, I think, especially, which um, is expected to be announced by the end of 24, early 25. Like, it's coming quick. So that, I think, is going to encapsulate a lot here because we'll have the Vision Pro, but I think we'll also have the standard Apple Vision. And I think that's going to be the true full story here. And uh, I'm excited to hear about that, too. Yeah, for sure. This episode is brought to you by Collide. Collide has some big news. If you're an Okta user, you know, that single sign-on deal, they can get your entire fleet to 100% compliance. How do they do it? Well, if a device isn't compliant, the user can't log into your cloud apps until they fix the problem. It's that simple. Collide patches one of the major holes in zero trust architecture, which is device compliance. Without Collide, IT struggles to solve basic problems like keeping everyone's OS and browser up to date. Unsecured devices are logging into your company's apps because there's nothing there to stop them. Well, Collide is the only device trust solution that enforces compliance as part of authentication, and it's built to work seamlessly with Okta. The moment Collide's agent detects a problem, it alerts the user and gives them instructions to fix it. If they don't fix the problem within a set time, they're blocked. Collide's method means fewer support tickets, less frustration, and most importantly, 100% fleet compliance. So visit collide.com slash appleinsider to learn more or book a demo. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash appleinsider. Our thanks to Collide for sponsoring this episode. All right, iOS 17 features that won't be coming at launch. This has been according to Apple and looking at different footnotes and such. And we actually haven't talked about this since the keynote because we have not been together. But the journal app, which you so eloquently described and was basically announced, like the the journal app that I got so excited before WWDC that we were describing and you were explaining how it could include all these different Sources of information like your photos and concert tickets and locations and all of that. I, I'm happy I, I came so close to what they oh, actually yeah. revealed. I don't, uh, normally, uh, normally I'm a little over the moon, but like they actually... They did it. Yeah, they did it. And it's amazing. It looks amazing. Unfortunately, apparently it's not coming out at the launch of iOS 17, which it's not in the betas right now. I imagine this may be a 17.1 thing that comes out kind of like free form it's hard to say people so people jump to 17.1 and i mean that makes sense we've seen this before but we've also seen um apple withholding things until the last minute i mean all it says on the website is coming later Um, that could literally mean that could mean anything like apple is just you know they 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 are working on it maybe there's some systems there maybe they want third-party support before they release it so that way people have a more full journal experience from day one i could see 17.1 but let, let's not get crazy here that's probably like what 
October first. Right, right. <laughs> so yeah, we're not we're not looking at a super long timeline here. Well, and also I'm curious with the journal app. Okay, typically iOS 17 comes out right before the new iPhone is available, so early September. And we usually don't get iPad OS 17 until October ish. Some you know, and then Mac OS Sonoma also is usually delayed. Historically, iPad OS comes out the same day as iOS. Most it's just sometimes, yeah. There's been there's been I think two instances in the last like five years. Uh, so that's why it, maybe it feels differently. Is because it happened last year, but it didn't happen the year before, right. right? So like it's it's been it's been a off and on. Generally, I think they aim for iOS, but if there's an issue like Stage Manager, they need to correct. They're not they don't have a problem pushing it out to Mac OS, but right. I don't I don't think there's a possibility of that this year because like iPad OS it got some stability stuff for Stage Manager and a couple of things, but there's nothing break system breaking in this release so right and i i only wonder you know if mac os sonoma is going to be coming out october maybe even november maybe coinciding with right. new macs that will be released and we'll get to that in a second the journal app will be available across all those platforms they might wait for that mac os sonoma release for it to be a part see of that. we don't know we don't know right that's the that's the weird part here apple uh did not mention the journal app anywhere during the keynote other than iOS and it is not mentioned anywhere on its web page other than iOS. So it would be odd for them to not have it across every platform because it is just an app, right? right? right. So like, what are they doing? But Apple Musical uh, Classical still isn't on any other platform either. Oh, so true. so this could very well be an iPhone only thing, especially with the data sources. I think this is going to be a health app situation where oh, um, all of the data is going to be collected from the iPhone. So therefore the app's going to be there and not until they... Um, uh, get a proper syncing situation fully encrypted implemented safely that they fully trust will it come to every platform which could be day one but that's true um, i mean you think this would be solved already with the health app but um we'll see also airdrop over the internet might be coming later which i'm so looking forward to that hopefully it comes soon collaborative music playlists which would be in carplay but also just if you were airplaying in the house across different iphones different different thing um oh different thing yeah different thing uh carplay playlist is available right now you can go do it uh today oh, okay. like the, that kind of stuff that's not a playlist that's the now playing right um, oh i get a collaborative collaborative music playlist a very interesting feature because i think people have been asking for it forever i think spotify has something like this where you can basically using the collaboration tool like you would in notes or reminders right so you can share those with other people you can share a playlist with other people uh, and they can add and remove songs freely that's pretty and cool. uh, that's not coming till later gotcha that, that's a pretty cool feature though all right and then uh also this was kind of a hidden feature in iowa 17 this was uh federico vitici i think actually originally took note of this you can actually point your iphone camera or take a picture of one of the laundry instructions on like a garment or sheets or whatever and all those mysterious symbols that at least i had no idea what they all meant you know you always look for the words am i tumble drying low is this a, can i wash this are you throwing it in a just mythical void of darks and then <laughs> yeah. pressing start because that's what i'm <laughs> hoping do. for it's the best just, you know you just do yeah. whatever Apparently, your iPhone is going to be able to interpret those hieroglyphics on the laundry instructions and tell you what they mean. I didn't even know there was meaning to those. Wild. Here, here's the weird thing. All right, so I, I've seen like six different people discover this feature in different ways over the last like month. This is called Visual Lookup. It is not specific to laundry tags, which would be really funny if Apple came out with a feature specific That'd to laundry funny. tags. But this is for everything. It is everything. All yeah. right. So yeah, if you take a photo of anything that is recognizable by visual lookup, it will pop up as a, Hey, this, yeah, you know, is this a landmark? Are you in the specific city? What does this sign say? Is this a different language? Dog breeds, flowers. What, what dog breed, what flower, man, the flower thing. It's so funny to me. Cause I, I still go to the app store and every now and then the top featured app is a identify this plant. You've been able to identify plants since I was 16. Like why is it even an app anymore, which probably charges you money and full of, and it's full of ads or whatever. And it's collecting data about your mother-in-law visual lookup is actually really smart. It's, and it's getting better. Like we got breeds and plants last year, but now it's 
anything that it can recognize that's worth giving you information. It's not going to tell you like <laughs> the router that you're, is in your photos links. It's, it's not going to be that specific, but it's going to be like if if there's ever been a question in your mind about something, it's probably going to be an, uh, available through visual lookup. Like what does this sign mean in this language, blah, blah, blah. And it's really interesting because this going after, like I said, there's a lot of apps in the app store that do very specific types of visual lookup using OCR and such, including Google's own thing that they purchased years ago called Lens. Uh, they, right. I remember using it before it was a Google product where you could point it at signs. It would live translate it for you. Google purchased that and then incorporated it into their search feature. Apple is going straight after that. I don't know if you noticed, but there's a lot of features in iOS, in iOS 17 and the others that are direct search systems right. built by Apple that are not Google, right, that, right. which is interesting. Now, let me ask you, though, because visual lookup, how do you trigger it? Because if you just open the camera app and point it at something, I don't think it does anything. You have to take a picture, right? So it's using on-device machine learning, right? And every now and then, um, if it's quick enough, you might see like that. You might see an immediate response, which uh, it depends on your internet connection. Because I believe it's there, there's some back and forth there. Because the data that's processing the image and getting image recognition is on your device. So it's not like Apple sending these off to a cloud that, cause that's what Google does. When Google does right. its image recognition, it's sent to the cloud and goes through some sort of process and is sent back to your phone. All the identification stuff is happening on your phone, but then it's like doing a query based on it, the results of that identification through the internet. So, you know, doing that differential privacy stuff that Apple loves talking about. So, but yeah, it, depending on your connection, you might immediately see a result, but it's after you take the photo, it's not going to appear in the lens being like, you're taking, a photo of a flower that's not it's not doing that how long does it take though because like i'm trying to search for sometimes instantly i've i've noticed like because my mom like she frequently gets flowers and like what is this and i'll just take a photo of it open the pre like in the camera app take a photo you see the preview in the bottom left you click it swipe up and it's there like that's how that like that's how quickly I've seen it pop up before. Every now and then it takes a moment, but I've noticed mostly most of the time it's it tries to be instant. Because I just took a well, I searched for poison ivy and it pulled up like an image, and I took a picture of that image with my like I just took this really good picture of poison ivy, but nothing's happening. Well, you also just took a photo of a screen. So you think um, that matters? You think that matters? I think there's more to it. Okay, okay, okay. I think I mean remember the what is the stupid number? It's some billions of processes per second when you click the shutter. Right. It probably knows that you took a picture of a static screen. Like I just I have yeah, flowers okay, in my okay. office. Yeah. And I just took a photo of right. it. Yeah. I didn't get anything if only because uh it it we're talking on a podcast about it and it doesn't Oh, there it is. See, look, <laughs> literally about three seconds later, huh. look up plant rose. Yeah, there it is. All right. Well, I'm going to try this more often because I honestly, I don't see that very often when I take pictures. Maybe I'm taking pictures of my own devices usually. It's not, it's not like that. Yeah. It's not going to be like, this is a MacBook. Oh no. Okay. Now wait a minute. Wait a minute. So I took a picture of a monarch butterfly caterpillar on a plant. And so I see the little lookup thing. This might be the first time I'm ever doing it because it just showed a card of like, Hey, this is what lookup is. And then it shows me a night blooming jasmine. Says Siri knowledge. It pulled up two Wikipedia articles. So interesting. Yeah, I think uh, this this is interesting because it's it's turning the camera into much more of a utility than it was before. Because yeah, you know, photos. I think it's really interesting to like not not invasively, but I want to know what you have in your photo, like your camera roll, right? Right, right, right? Because like that tells a lot about a person. Like I've opened camera rolls like, with their permission. Uh, I've opened camera rolls and seen like just a litany of screenshots of memes of like you know iMessage chats that they've been in. You know, it tells you a lot about a person what they have in a camera yeah, roll. Yeah. If you open my camera roll, it's photos of people and pets. Right, right, right. And things and objects. But like, um, I, I wonder if this is going to change how we use uh, the photos because not only is this visual lookup powerful for just finding stuff, it's also good for sorting and searching, right? So once it's in your system, you can just search plants and every plant photo you've ever taken will show up, right? right. This right. is going to be a powerful feature. It's literally what I just did. I searched in my photos for plants found one actually with that monarch butterfly caterpillar kind of close up and it did it said bug <laughs> you know look up or bug and when you click that it actually shows what it is so bug look up has been there since iOS 16 i was looking up bees and stuff oh, yeah. uh, last year so um like it's it's just only getting more powerful like they're just yeah. introducing more and that um there's been a lot of conversation uh, in certain sectors about apple and search and uh they haven't come out with their own search engine honestly they might as well have i think yeah. in, especially in the last two years 
uh, Spotlight has really stepped up to be its own thing. So yes, you have to have an iPhone or an Apple device to use Apple's quote unquote search engine, but the top results you get in Spotlight anymore are not from your search engine. You'll get an, right. a Siri intelligence result first. Oh yeah. And then a default, my default stuck that goes. So I never see a Google search re result. I don't want it. <laughs> so you'll see first result, Apple, second result, your search engine, third result, web result. Right. So right, right. I think that's just very powerful. Yeah. So I'll actually put a little chapter artwork. If you would like to see the, uh, the bug lookup that I was able to uh, trigger using uh, in my thing here. So anyway, those are some iOS 17 features you might have to wait a little longer for. Real quick, we need to talk about the iPhone 15 leaked cases. This was shared at Majin Buu had like a video of it. And then some other leaker had the actual images. Oh, Weibo. These images were on the Weibo Chinese website. And basically it shows a few big differences between this case. And again, this is just a case. This is not confirming anything, but does allude to some previous leaks and rumors we had heard that there is a smaller cutout for the mute switch, which might imply that it's no longer a mute switch, but actually a button. This was a previous rumor that it might be actually a programmable action button a la the Apple Watch, which I am, have mixed feelings about. We can get back to that. The bottom cutout appears larger, probably to accommodate a USB-C port instead of lightning. I think it's fairly certain we're going to see USB-C on the iPhone 15. Bigger cameras, because every year we need bigger cameras, and a larger microphone grill. Slightly larger, barely noticeable, but larger microphone grill. So excited for that. I'm very excited for the USB microphone possibilities with an iPhone that has a USB-C port. There's many USB mics that I cannot get to work with an iPhone, even with the lightning camera adapter and USB adapters that do work with iPad and it just connects directly via USB-C. So excited for those possibilities and, you know, bigger cameras, that means more new camera stuff. Now, I forget, what are your feelings about the mute switch action button possible change? First of all, I don't care. Okay. The mute switch, I, it's ambivalent. I, I don't care. If anything, it's been a fidget toy for me. I, it's always off, so it might as well not exist. I don't have my sound on my phone. The only time I ever remember I need to probably turn it on is when I'm playing a game and it's one of the handful of games that still for some reason relies on system audio mute uh, variable to just to tell you if the game has audio or not. It's like, oh yeah, I need to unmute, uh, but put put the mute control and control center. I'm fine. I don't, I don't care if it's a button. Button thing though, that intrigues me. Like the two most exciting features for iPhone um, 15 Pro for me is a programmable button that like dynamically changes based on focus modes that I can attach uh, shortcuts and uh, app actions to. That's that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Like I, I'm I'm going to use that everywhere. Uh, that just adds another level of customization and personalization to iPhone that uh, is unique to Apple, right? Like right, it, right. people have probably been hearing me bang this drum for a while, but my personal belief is uh, that iPhone is becoming if not already has over overcome android and customization efforts uh just because of focus modes and lock screens and and all of this stuff and uh ios 17 plus this iphone i think has there's a lot of opportunity here that just um you can't do anywhere else so that's going to be cool and then number two is the periscope camera for iphone um, like uh, iphone 15 pro max like that's going to be huge big zoom optical zoom that's going to be important and uh, I think it'll also be interesting for visual lookup because mm. let me let me tell you how many times I've been at like festivals or in uh, convention centers and I see far away a sign with a list of objects and prices and I'm like what is that I just grab my phone zoom into 15x take a photo and bam now I can see the sign right like I use that frequently in my life and a uh, better zoom I think will be awesome for that not to mention I like taking pictures of birds in my yard so there we go oh yeah that would, that would be helpful <laughs> that'd be helpful you're right very quickly Mark Gurman in his last power on newsletter this would be last weekend kind of went through many of the upcoming possible roadmap Apple devices I'll link the article in the show notes you could just read it all there but basically that would be getting Apple Watch Series 9 this fall possibly Apple Watch Ultra 2 which is interesting that would mean a year-over-year -year update to the Apple Watch Ultra, we weren't sure if it'd be a longer update cycle. A new iMac, which my goodness, of all the Macs, that one is definitely long in the tooth. We actually have a Mac Pro update before the iMac got a newer chip than the M1, which I understand is all in one device, probably fine, but would like to see the iMac get maybe an M3 chip, M2, we'll see. Uh, new AirPods getting refreshed, new Apple TV getting refreshed, things like that. Plus M3 Pro and M3 Max versions of MacBook Pros. I think this is all pretty in line with like, yeah, Apple does an M1, and then they do an M2, and then they do an M3, and they keep updating their devices. Right. That's, I think, how it's going to go. It would be very, I mean, I guess it's possible that we could see an M3 this fall. I don't know. We've seen 
these fast cycles didn't we get m2 m1 ultra and then m2 in the same year right like i i think that I th- yeah because the macbook air was m2 right and then the mac studio came out april of 2022 and then the macbook air came out that summer i believe or later that fall yeah so i wonder if it's going to continue at that pace uh, or if apple's on, if it's only this fast if only because like apple fell behind because of right. chip shortages and all of that and they had to catch up like so i wonder where we are in the pacing so right now the pacing would suggest yes m3 is coming in like october november this year but i'm, I'm just exhausted <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's a lot yeah it's funny to me that they would just yep here you go here's here's all of that yeah as far as uh german's uh, he does this every year uh ming chi kuo also does this I don't, right I, right I, I don't know if this is just a thing in that space, but they come out with a, here's everything for the next year that I, you know, based on my Intel and predictions and stuff. And it's the same, it's not surprising. Like they're not going to be like Apple car, you know, March, right? Like it's not anything too crazy. I, I do, I do find that these usually slip. It's usually everything we could ever want from Apple is coming out and then it's, they, they, start moving a few things around <laughs> right so so i have a so as far as the next couple of months because that's a little bit more reasonable than predicting next year what are you looking at this uh, september are you going to get the new iphone new apple watch oh i mean listen always the new iphone i'm on the iphone upgrade program so that's just kind of a natural thing apple watch ultra that's going to be a hard sell to upgrade the ultra i mean the battery life is amazing you're on the ultra now right i'm on the ultra now the battery life is incredible the speed is so fast i don't know what they would add that would tempt me so space gray i'm not a space gray guy when it comes to the watches there's a reason why i don't own an ultra I don't, i'm not going to wear silver titanium like uh sure. if they come out with colors i or like in in this case i mean not a color give me space gray sure and i will buy a apple watch ultra this year absolutely well okay well, so we'll see about that Aside from all of that, though, I mean, my 14-inch MacBook Pro is so amazing. My Mac Studio is great. Like No M3 anythings? The, you know, somehow, I don't think this is going to happen. This wasn't even in Gurman's thing. If for some reason they update the iPad mini to some kind of M chip and put a ProMotion display in there, <laughs> I will update immediately. Oh, we all want it. It's I happening. want it. I don't see it happening, but I definitely want it, and I would upgrade to it. That's it. <laughs> I wonder if we're going to get an iPad mini seven soon. I, this one has been out for a minute, yeah, um, yeah. but it also doesn't feel like it's old. Like I still use mine every day. Maybe the battery life might be suffering a little bit. I can't, right. maybe that's just the betas, but they still haven't fixed the weather widget where it doesn't overlap the stinking clouds. I'm still, I'm still <laughs> upset. I have that's a weather funny. widget on my home screen and whenever it's cloudy, all the clouds over, not software optimized. Yeah. I, still yeah, I mean, it. I, Come on. If an iPad Mini Seven came out and there was a reasonable reason to upgrade, I wouldn't mind upgrading that. Um, I'm still holding onto my iPad Pro until I feel like getting a new one. I mean, maybe M3 would be something suitable there. Um, Apple TV, of course. Anytime they come out, yeah, the hardware I do there, There's probably a reason. Yeah, yeah. I'll just always, I'll just buy a new one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do, I do that, and then just you move it all down the line. You you put whatever. We we talked about this at length before, so we're not going to get into it again. But um, AirPods Max with USB C. Listen. My thing is, I, I just traveled recently. Are you going to get the Beat Studio Pro? I had it in to talk about, and then I took it out because we just don't have time. But I, I, do, I, I enjoyed using them on the plane because I was on an 11-hour flight. AirPods Max were great for that. I don't use them at home pretty much ever. Okay. I just, I don't. I have two HomePods here in the studio. If I want to listen to something, I do it on there. If I'm on the patio editing a podcast, I actually use my AirPods Pro because it's hot outside, and, and I don't want to wear the AirPods Max. I just don't use them enough. I'd be super tempted. And I, I might do it anyways, just because. I was going to say, listeners, place your bets. I, I believe Steven's yeah, going to buy one anyway. <laughs> I, I mean, if it has USB-C and some kind of like, or or some kind of like MagSafe style charging, because one of the other news things is with the iOS 17 updates, a lot of the improvements coming to AirPods that like AirPods Pro are getting, AirPods Max are not getting some of those software updates, which is seemingly wild. I mean, I guess we can't know for sure until this fall. But it's the H series chipset. Right. AirPods Max have H1s, not H2s. Right. And so like that alone is like Apple either has to like kill it or update it. I feel like come this fall. Oh, it'll get, it'll get updated. I think it's it's one of those stupid products that has such a wide margin. They are making everyone they sell. They're making plenty of money on. Sure. Even if it's just a chipset bump and a USB C port, that'll be enough. People will buy it, and I think Apple's would be uh, Apple would be crazy not to do it just because they <laughs> they already have the materials to make it. They don't have to change the design. Just right. just throw throw in those new things and then move on. New colors, maybe new colors, be good to go. Off button. I would still like an off button. 
because I have these really nice stands where I would display my AirPods Max on my desk, but then they're just sitting there and they always appear as like an audio destination and it's really annoying. I would love to just be able to say, turn off. Like, I don't want to, uh, you don't want, I don't auto switch to you. I'm not trying to push any audio to you. Just turn off. Twitter and Apollo. Twitter and Apollo. Okay. All right. Let's quickly, very quickly, uh, before we close, number one, Silo, Apple TV Plus original show. I've really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to the finale, which actually the season finale airs Friday as you're listening to the show today. Uh, members get it a day early, but Apple already lets you watch the first episode of season one of Silo and any of their shows for free in the Apple TV app. Anybody, you have the Apple TV app on a smart TV, on any Apple device, you can watch the first episode because Apple's trying to give you that free experience and get you hooked. Well, Apple actually uploaded the entire first full episode of Silo to Twitter and allows people to watch it for free on Twitter. And this seems like a strange move, not only because of the weirdness that Twitter has been going through over the last year. John Gruber had a great article about what, why is Apple doing this? I imagine it's because Twitter still has a large enough audience that Apple is trying to reach with their content, right. but seems like an odd move. So, Stephen, wait for it. We have to get out of our silos oh, and my goodness. Show's over. see the, see the bigger right picture. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. We can all agree that what Musk has done with Twitter is abhorrent, and uh, he says some terrible things, and it's surprising that any advertiser is willing to do anything. It seems like there's at least two advertisers left. It's Apple and uh, someone who sells uh, garbage products through Temu, and that's <laughs> yeah. it. That's and they're all and they're all fake products that people are posting like these don't actually work, and they they're still paying advertising money to be on Twitter. It's very odd, but yeah, it's it's strange that Apple's still so prominent. They pay for uh, hash flags, which are not cheap, right? You you know they pay for all of their verification badges and stuff so what is happening i think the answer is us tech people and us a few other audiences pay close attention to this because we're passionate about it we're power users on twitter we know exactly what's happening with the platform we're not happy about it some of us have quit and moved to mastodon yada yada right like we're very plugged in but that's still such a very small portion of Twitter. Yeah, Most of the people are just there because it's a platform where they can see tweets from publishers and products and stuff like that. And they're just there to follow sports news and whatnot. And Apple has a lot of people, they have access to, you know, millions of users yeah. through this silly thing. Probably costs them pennies on a dollar compared to other advertising fees that they have to. Sure. While it's frustrating to see our favorite company do do something that maybe we wouldn't do personally, we have to remember they are a company. I don't think that stuff's going to like, I don't think this kind of advertising is going away anytime soon. And I think Apple's playing the long game. And this is my personal take. Like, I think they're just waiting for must get tired, move on, which he's already kind of showing signs of. Mm -hmm. And, to get some adults in the room to take control and re rehabilitate Twitter a little bit and bring it back to at least somewhat of a usability scale that doesn't feel rotten and slimy. So I think it's fine. I'm not personally violated by Apple posting silo yeah, on Twitter. Yeah. I, I've just seen a lot of reactionary comments on this and it's just like, take a second to calm down guys. It's, it's fine. Apple is a company they're taking advantage and it was actually a very smart marketing move because now Mr. Beast is posting about it. Right. Millions of people are hearing about it for the first time. How do I get Apple TV? Exactly. Well, yeah, and they also do a ton of advertising on TikTok. I mean, if you scroll there and so if you feel a certain way about Twitter, I imagine you might feel a certain way about TikTok also, but Apple is all over it, especially when it was leading up to WWDC last year's iPhone event. Like they advertise a ton. So Anyway, I think it's an interesting move. I'll link to Gruber's article as well. He had some thoughts on it. Two last quick things. The whole Reddit debacle, way too much to cover here in this episode. But we do want to encourage you, if you were an Apollo app user and the developer of Apollo, remind me of his name if you can get it in a second. Christian Selig. Thank you very much. He uh, you know, did incredible work. Uh, so much of his business and income was Apollo, the third-party app for Reddit. And if you were a user of Apollo and maybe you subscribed in the last year and did a yearly subscription or maybe even subscribed in the last month and had a monthly subscription, there's now an option in the Apollo app to decline a refund. And the reason why you might want to do that, Apollo, because of the whole API ridiculousness that Reddit is doing, I listened to his interview uh, with John Gruber on the talk show. He did an interview with The Verge. Like Reddit has done him dirty. I think that is clear to see and Reddit is making some, I think, poor decisions regarding its API access and charging developers. But he is having to shut down his third-party app Apollo 
because the API cost would literally be in the millions of dollars uh, if you were to continue running his app. All right, $20 million per year. Some users use Reddit so much it would cost them $50,000 for that user right. based on the API cost. Like this isn't- That's a cost that Christian would have to pay Reddit for access to their API, which is a recent change. Mm -hmm. He tried to negotiate with them, just they're not having it. So his estimates are if he had to refund everyone that he needed to refund today, um, he would have to pay out of pocket about $250,000. And, you know, I I understand that people will see these developers and they're like, oh, they're, they're featured on the app store and they're very popular and a lot of people on Reddit use them. Yeah, it's, it's a popular app and he probably has a, you know, a couple million at most, uh, daily active users, not all of them pay, not all of them subscribe yearly. So it's a a fraction of a fraction. We're getting down to smaller numbers, but it's still $250,000 out of his pocket. Yeah. This dude isn't a millionaire, right? He's not out here rolling around in a Mercedes, like, like Lamborghinis or whatever. Like he's still a person trying to live his life and take care of his family. And I think it's just the five to $20 that it, out of our pocket that we gave him to use this wonderful app. We're not missing it. We already paid it. It's already gone. So go and decline the refund. refund. Help this guy out a little bit because I don't want to see him bankrupt and uh, not able to be an app developer anymore flipping burgers, um, which I don't think is going to happen. But uh, I I, I think that shows some support because he is going to move on to other endeavors. I think his future apps are going to be interesting. He currently has one called Pixel Pals. Go give it a give it a look. Adds a little pet Tamagotchi like character to your dynamic island and your live activities. Right. So that's that's really smart and cute. Yeah, please, please go uh, give him some goodwill and decline your refund. Decline that refund. And the one, one last thing, he is um, partnered with his artist that made all those fantastic icons for Apollo yeah. to make wallpaper packs. And you can, it's a donation based product. So if you donate five dollars, and there's I think two other options for fifteen or twenty dollars, um, you can donate five bucks, get access to all the wallpapers made by these artists. And they're iPhone, iPad, and Mac wallpapers, and they're they're brilliant, and it's just another way to support him as he closes down Apollo. And finally, last thing, just want to mention the iPhone turned 16. As we record today, Thursday, January 29th, the original iPhone went on sale June 29th, 2007. Yep, my niece was born a couple months before iPhone came out. So Amazing. That's how I remember how old she is. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was it. 16 years since the original iPhone launched. Mm-hmm. Uh, and apparently, uh, I won't say his last name, but Zach, happy birthday to you too. He actually shares a birthday with the iPhone. So there you go. We have an article. You can check it out. One last plug yes. before we close yes. based on this. So the iPhone is 16 years old. Go watch Blackberry. Excellent oh, yeah. movie. Excellent. Have you seen it yet, Steve? I have not, but I would like to. Go. Do that on your little, you know, go go, go, watch, go it, watch it. Put it on your movies podcast. <laughs> Absolutely excellent movie. If you're a nerd, this was this was a lot of fun. It's not a serious like Steve Jobsian style thing. It's about a bunch of nerds trying to uh, cobble together a phone from uh, nothing uh, in, two, in in the early like late '90s to early 2000s, and uh, it, it, it's it was pretty well done by the actors and everything. Nice. So give give that a watch. Very fun. Well, thank you, listeners. Again, check out all the links for what we talked about in the show notes today leave us a five star rating and review and of course you can support the show directly in apple Podcasts or at patreon.com slash apple insider you can get an ad version of the show and early access thanks for tuning in we'll catch you next time